Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, reading there in the third chapter, beginning at the sixth verse. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For ye yourselves know how ye ought to imitate us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. It may seem a bit dark and dismal on this Sunday morning, but I hope that all of us are glad to be here in God's house. You've heard me say that today is the 15th Sunday after Trinity. We are in this non-festival half of the church year. And the word of God that I just read to you, this text, taken from Paul's second letter to the Christian congregation at Thessalonica. Do you remember when Paul was on his second missionary journey, when he came to Troas and Asia Minor, he had the Macedonian call. Then he crossed over into Europe, he went up into Macedonia, and he landed first in the city of Philippi, the city named after Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Then he left Philippi and he traveled westward, and he came to the city of Thessalonica, named after the sister of Alexander the Great. And here he established a congregation. From there he went on to Berea, then he went on down into Athens, and finally came into Corinth in Greece. And while he was in Corinth, he received word that there were troubles and difficulties in the Christian congregation that he had established up in Thessalonica, up in Macedonia. So he wrote these two letters, and in this second letter, the text that I have read, he tells the Christians at Thessalonica, he said, ye ought to imitate us. He says to them in their difficulties and problems, he said, I would like to have you Christians at Thessalonica. I would like to have you imitate me. I would like to have you emulate me. I would like to have you follow me as a Christian. I would like to have you use me as the pattern for your Christian life. Use me as your example. Use me as your model. Let me be, again, let me be the very ideal of your Christian life. And today, from the Word of God, uh, Paul says to you and to me as Christians, he says, again, will you see to it in your Christian life that there is in your heart a desire, there is a longing that other Christians will imitate you. Will you see to it that this is what you want above all else, that other Christians that you know will emulate you, will follow you, that they will make you the pattern of their Christian life. They'll make you the model, that you will be their ideal in the Christian life. And I can hear all of us saying, oh, God forbid. 
that I should actually want other Christians to look to me, to imitate me, that they are to be like I am, that they are to use me as a model, that when they look at me, that I may be the ideal, that I may be the pattern of their Christian life, and they may say, oh God, anything but that. And we may, again, we may shrink from it, and we may say, oh, that I don't want, that I should desire that other Christians should emulate me, that I should be their pattern. We may say to ourselves, we look at ourselves and say, oh, no good can ever come of that. You and I may look at ourselves this morning and we say, well, what kind of a pattern am I? We may say, I fail and come short so much. Uh, I'm not a perfect pattern. How could I ever yearn that other Christians would look to me and they would uh, find me as their model and their ideal? And we may say, well, sad as we hate to admit it, there are times when we don't practice what we preach. There are times when there's a great chasm, a great void between our lips and our life. Uh, that old things just simply don't harmonize. And we may say, oh, surely, I, I just can't do that. I can't yearn that in my life that other Christians will look at me and make me their pattern and their model and their ideal. And yet this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, I want you, and I hope that you will, I hope that you'll pattern your life after me. I hope that you will let me be your model. And this is what he would ask of you and me this morning. We may say, well, what good can ever come of it? God forbid I'm anything but a perfect example and a perfect model. And yet Paul would assure you and me this morning that even though we are far from perfect, that even though you and I may say, what a discrepancy and what inconsistencies we see in our Christian life, nevertheless, if there is a yearning in your heart and mind, if there is a desire that other Christians would use us as a model, then there will come great good and great blessings to those who so look to us and let's look at that this morning. You may say that I can bless others if there is a yearning in my heart that I want them to imitate me, to emulate my life, to again use me as a pattern and as a model. Let's know this in the first place. If there is a yearning in your heart and mind as a Christian that we want others to use us as a pattern and as their ideal, then you and I will turn to Jesus Christ and with more earnestness than ever, we will ask him for strength that as we turn to the word of God that we may find those things that are true concerning him and concerning the way of salvation. Let me tell you when in your life and mine there comes a yearning that others may look to us and look to us as an example. Something happens. And this is what happens. There comes an earnestness. There comes a consistency. There comes a diligence that you and I say, if I want others to pattern their Christian experience after mine, then, oh God, let me turn to the word of God and let me know who Jesus Christ is and let me know the way of salvation. You and I will turn to the word of God and we'll study it with diligence and we'll say, who is Christ? What does the word of God say? Because today we're hearing everything and anything. And people are running here to this Bible teacher, to that Bible teacher, and people are so confused. But if they're going to look to you and me and we want them to, we're going to say, what does the word of God say? Was Jesus God's son? Was he divine? Was he born of the virgin? When he came into the world, what is this way of salvation that he has revealed? When he died on the cross, was he not as God dying for us? Didn't he keep the Ten Commandments in your stead and mine and cancel our guilt? In that death on the cross, didn't he bear hell and damnation? And isn't it true that by sorrow for sin and by faith in him you and I are saved? Let me tell you when we yearn that others may look to us, 
imperfect examples as you and I may be, there will come an earnestness and we will again with diligence and it will no longer be something that is just so, so into our lives. We will look to the word of God so that when we bear witness and talk to them, that they will not be confused and that they will know that Christ and Christ alone is the way into eternal life that God's Son died and that by faith in him, not by our life, are we saved unto everlasting salvation. And there will come good and it spills over into your life and mine. It may shock us today to have Paul say, I want you to have this yearning desire in your Christian life that others may look at you and they may say, here is my example, here is my model. We may say, oh, God forbid, as we look at ourselves, how we fail and come short. But what does it mean? When there is that kind of a yearning in your life and mine, then we turn to Christ and with more earnestness than ever, we look at him and we say, oh, give me strength that I may in my weekday experience, that I may show my love for worshiping you. When in your life and mine there comes this time that we pray that others may look at us, they may use us as an example. When Sunday comes, believe you me, there is something different, isn't there? We say to ourselves, oh God, give me strength that if I have to crawl, I'll be in church. If I have to crawl, I'll be there that I may worship you because somebody is watching me. Somebody is looking at me as the ideal. Somebody is looking to me as the model and we come to God's house and we say, this is the experience and I'm going to come in joy. Here I'm going to worship my Lord. Here I'm going to sing his praises. Here I am going to meet with other Christians. And oh God, even though we may be imperfect examples, who can measure the good that comes to somebody who looks at you and who looks at me? Because you know, if we miss three Sundays, you and I may be gone forever. And somebody else who was looking at your life and mine may be gone from Jesus Christ forever. It's that serious and it's that important. No wonder Paul, when again, he knew he was a sinner, but when he wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, I, I want you again that you will imitate me. And he wasn't afraid. He knew he was a sinner. He wasn't holding himself up as a little God. And when you and I say, I've got this yearning, that other Christians I know that they may look at me and use me as a model, We'll crawl to church on Sunday because somebody's eternal welfare may be in the balance. It means this, that when I actually yearn and I say, God, let me be the pattern. Let me be the example. Let me be again the ideal that others will look to me. They will try to imitate me as a Christian. Then we're going to say to ourselves, oh God, with more earnestness than ever, give me the strength that I will not fall into temptation and sin. Makes a difference when we ask God to let somebody look at us as an example, when temptations, they're invitations to sin, when temptations come to you and me to do that which we know is wrong, we will most earnestly and we will diligently say, Christ, give me the strength to say no. I don't want to fall into sin. I don't want to go into immorality and I don't want to go into disgrace and I don't want to go into the open sins of the world because somebody is looking to me as an example and as a and when we pray that kind of a prayer and when diligently we ask for strength that we say when temptations come no it's wrong and therefore I will not do it and give me the strength oh what good there comes from you and me imperfect examples though we are that other Christians will say there's a person that practices what he preaches there's a person where there isn't a big gap between lip and life 
There is one who is trying, yes, a sinner. But again, this gives strength. And when other Christians looking at you and me can say there is no hypocrite, there is one, yes, an imperfect human being who is trying to live it, let me tell you who can measure, who can begin to even scan the amount of influence and the amount of good that comes. Oh, we say, you mean Paul says that I should actually yearn and long that other Christians will emulate me and will imitate my life and they will use me as a pattern. That's what he wanted the Thessalonians to do. Rather a strange thing, it startles us, doesn't it? Yet we say to ourselves, but oh God, anything but that. I, I don't want anybody to use me as an example. I don't want anybody to use me as a model or as a pattern. But again... Paul, he asked the Thessalonians, will you do it? And he asked you and me on the basis of God's word, will you pray for this thing? Will you, again, yearn for why? Then we'll turn to Christ and with more earnestness than ever, we'll ask him again to give us strength that we will forego some of the things that we as Christians say are our Christian liberties. What happens when some other Christian is looking at your life and mine and they are using us as a pen? And we prayed that others would do it. How about the things of Christian liberty? Remember when Paul was talking about if eating meat, he says, offend my brother, he says, I won't eat meat again as long as they live. Now, Paul was a Jew, and he knew that as a Jew that he was not to eat pork, but he knew when Christ came, that was all abrogated, that was over. He knew he had the right to eat pork, and yet did that mean that he was just going to eat pork in spite of everybody? It didn't at all. It meant that, again, since other Jewish Christians were looking at him, who just couldn't get themselves to eat pork, Paul was very careful that he for, could forego some of these liberties that he had. I know some Roman Catholics who have said to me they've been raised some little on, that they were not to eat meat on Friday. That was the day for fish. And now in the Roman Catholic Church it has been decreed, as you know, that they may eat meat on Friday. And I have some Roman Catholic friends who say, I know I can, but I just can't get myself to eat meat. I, I just don't feel right about it. If you were having that kind of a person at your home on a Friday evening, you wouldn't serve meat, would you? You'd say, I have the right. But again, you would forego some of your Christian liberties, wouldn't you? And so it is, there are these liberties in the church that we'll never agree on. We all know that drunkenness is a sin. There are Christians who say, but I can use alcohol in moderation. There are others who say, oh no, I must have complete abstinence. And we say, what about it if we feel conscience-wise that we may use it in modern? What about card playing? What about dancing? Again, you say, what about cosmetics? There are some Christians who say that it's wrong for you ladies to use cosmetics. And again, that this, but other Christians say there is nothing in the Word of God that commands it nor forbids it. When others look at us, we are saying, give me, Lord, at times, if it's going to offend anybody. Uh, give me again the grace that I can forego this thing. Some of you Christians are firmly convinced, you ladies, that you ought to wear hats in church on Sunday. There are others of you who feel that in that command in Scripture, that was for a local church at a local time. There will never be again any unanimity on it. But as Christians, as examples, we say to ourselves, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. What is it when somebody is looking to you and me then this thing becomes rather important and we ask Christ, give me the strength that I can forego some of the Christian liberties that I know I have, but that I don't offend somebody. And oh, what good results even from you and I as imperfect examples 
lest some other Christian, well, again, this thing becomes to him a matter of life and death that he might, might fall away and might forget his Christ and might lose his salvation. There come good things. Isn't that so? We think of the dunker, the Amish, the way he dresses. We think, again, he says this is the way. And yet we say, God, give me strength, since other Christians are looking at me, that while I may appreciate the liberties that I have, but I may not use them at times and forego them, lest somebody lose Christ in eternal life. This is what Paul is talking about. And he asks you and me, will you yearn, will you strive that, again, that others may look at you, Paul says, or look at me, and they say, this is my pattern, this is my example. And then it means this, that when we so yearn, it's going to drive us to Christ, and with more earnestness than ever, with real steadfastness and diligence, we're going to ask him for strength that we may have a forgiving spirit at all times. Makes a difference whether we forgive, isn't that right, when we yearn for somebody to use us as a model? How many of us go through life carrying a grudge? It's deep-seated. We have a inner hatred against somebody. We don't talk to them. But let me tell you, whenever you say, Oh, God, I yearn that other Christians may use me as an example, what happens to that kind of a spirit of grudge, that unforgiving spirit? Oh, the Apostle Peter, you know, he thought to forgive somebody. He had been taught forgiven three times. But he went to Jesus one day and said, Lord, suppose I forgive him seven times. And Jesus says, Seventy times, seventy, Peter. Yes, 70 times, seven, 490 times, you forgive them all the time. And when we realize this, that we yearn that other Christians can look at us, and they're using us as the ideal, there can't be an unforgiving spirit in your life and mine. They may trample all over us, they may simply run roughshod, but when we've got others looking, believe you and me, there's got to be a forgiving spirit. And oh God, what good it does that others can see and they can say there is genuineness there is somebody who practiced what he preaches. There is a Christian where there is a living faith. And believe you and me, then there come into their lives a forgiving spirit and there comes joy within. No wonder Paul would say to you and me this morning, I hope that you yearn. I hope that you long, that you pray that other Christians may emulate you, may imitate you. And we may say, Oh, God forbid, we may be just scared to death of that thing and say, uh, what kind of an example am I? I, I? I'm not a perfect model. Of course you're not, and neither am I, neither was Paul. But there was something, he said to the Thessalonians, he said, will you emulate me? Will you imitate me? And that means then also this, that when we go to work tomorrow, we will turn to our Christ and with more sincerity than ever, we will say, let me do the job the way a Christian ought to do it. This was one of the things that was bothering the Thessalonians why he wrote this letter. Paul had been there and he talked about the second coming of Christ. And somehow rather the Thessalonians knew in the faith got the idea that Christ was coming that very day or the next day. And many of them quit work and they simply were standing around idle and Paul heard about it. He, he writes to them and he says, now when I was there I worked. I don't want to leave you under the impression that you are to quit working, that you are to stand around as drones. And Paul said, I, I worked at my trade as a tent maker. I didn't ask you to keep me, although I could have. He said, I had the right. But he said, I worked day and night with my helpers that you wouldn't have to support me. I didn't want you to think that I was there after your money. But he said, now I want you to go to work. How many of us, when we go to the work on tomorrow, go to the job? How many of us say, there are other Christians that are looking at me. How do I do my job? Do we goof off? Can you and I really say at the end of the week that we deserve and earn our paycheck? God pity us if we can't. 
Are the rather Christians looking at the kind of a job that you do or the kind of a job that I do and say he's doing nothing but goofing off? What kind of an example? When I yearn that other Christians may look at me and my life, then I'm going to say, God, give me the strength. That I'm going to be a workman that needs not to be ashamed. I'm going to do my job the way I ought to, to the honor and glory of God, that others may again get this blessing that there is joy in doing a job. And thank God there is great joy in doing it right. There isn't any joy in a job done slovingly and haphazardly. It ought to be in your life and mine that never in our lives should we ever draw a paycheck but what down in our hearts there was the deep conviction that we earned it. This is the joy that ought to come and it spills over into our life and it ought to be the joy that comes in the lives of those that look at us. Oh, Paul says, will you yearn? Will you want other Christians to use yours as an example that you be their ideal and we may say, oh, oh God forbid, I'm scared death of that thing. Nevertheless, we may say, what good can come from it? Why, it means this, that when I so yearn that I'm also going to turn to Christ and with, again, with more earnestness than ever, I'm going to ask him to give me strength that I'll not become a busybody. Oh, just simply interfering with everybody else, gossiping, saying unkind things, tearing people down. This was part of the problem in Thessalonica. Naturally, some of those Christians, they said, well, Christ is coming, there's no use working. Then they were idle, and of course, when they were idle, then they became busybodies, and everybody else's business became their own. And here was gossiping and tearing one another down. This thing became rather serious. How about in your life and mine, in this thing of gossiping and talking about others and tearing other people down? It's a great pastime, isn't it? We can start him with the president and we take a hold of him and we can cut him down and bring him down to our size. As though we had never heard about speaking the truth in love. The things that we say that hurt one another. And yet again, if there is in your heart and mind a yearning that others may use us as an example, and this thing of busybodies and in talking about people and carrying them down, unkind things, forgetting to speak the truth in love, pray God what kind of an example can we be but when we yearn and we say God let me be the pattern let me be the ideal for other Christians then we're going to say with the greatest earnestness we've ever had in our lives let me speak the truth in love let me put the best construction on everything let me stop tearing people down one of you said to me not long ago she said I suppose I ought to go to communion last because even at the communion service, some of the things that I think as I see people coming up, or oh, you can tear everybody down, can't you? Who does she think she is? Look how she's dressed. Who does she think? This is a parade. We can sit God piteous, isn't that right? God piteous. But oh, when we can say, God, I want others to emulate me as a Christian. And we don't shrink from it. Well, then things begin to happen. It also means that we're going to turn to Christ and with greater zeal and with the greatest earnestness possible we're going to ask him to give us the strength that will show our faith in Christian love and mercy and kindness. Oh, the world's crying for help and we say to ourselves, I- I'm not going to pass by on the other side. If they're going to emulate me and this is what I want, I'm, I'm going to show my faith is alive and I'm going to, again, when I see a man that's hungry, I'm going to give him something to eat. When he's thirsty, I'm going to give him a drink of water. When he's naked, I'm going to give him some clothes. And when he's a stranger, I'm going to take him in. 
When he's sick, I'm going to visit him. When he's in jail, I'm going to go and comfort him. These are the little things. And we say, uh, can I do that? Oh, yes. And what effect of good does it have on others? When they see your faith and mine active in love, well, then there comes this joy that they will go and do likewise. And the world is crying for this. No, you and I are imperfect examples to be sure. But it means also this, we'll go to Christ when we pray that others may look to us and emulate us. And again, that somehow they may pattern their Christian experiences on the basis of our life, that we're going to ask for strength, that we're not going to get discouraged in well-doing. Well, what happens if you and I get discouraged in doing right? Suppose we get to the point and say, I'm going to throw in the towel, I'm done. I'm getting tired of doing what God tells me to do. I'm, I'm sick of doing what is right. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what is wrong. But if I'm yearning that other Christians may look to me as a pattern, I'm going to think twice and I'm going to say, Oh Christ, give me strength that I don't get discouraged, that I, I don't become cynical in the Christian life, that I'm going to do what is right because I want to do what is right and somebody's watching. And then those that watch, they may have the joy of knowing there is joy in right living. You and I can't get discouraged. We can't get weary. But when we are asking God to, to let some other Christians look at us, to use us as an example, then it also means this, that when I can yearn that others will look to me as an example, and you can do the same, all were utterly imperfect, to be sure. We can just simply get away from it and say, I cringe at the thought, it just horrifies me. Then we're going to turn to Christ and with greatest earnestness in our lives, we're going to ask him for strength to accept his will in the adversities of life. When we've got somebody watching us, let me tell you it makes a difference how we accept adversity and how we accept suffering and how we accept heartache and death when it comes into our house. How do you and I accept it when it comes? Are we bitter? Do we murmur? Do we complain? Do we tell God, God, you made a mistake. God, uh, you're punishing me and I don't want you to do that. And I've never done anything. Do we get bitter? If I can, in my Christian life, I can yearn that some other Christians may use me as an example, then I'm going to ask for strength, God, even though I don't understand. Let me accept your will. Teach me to be able to sing a song in the night. Even when fatal illness comes, oh God, it makes a tremendous difference whether you and I as a Christian can sing a song. Somebody's watching. Somebody is saying, well, if this Christian can't accept adversity, if there comes bitterness and murmuring, and there comes despair, then Jesus Christ, he isn't worth having. Or we may say, this is frightful, isn't it? Yet when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, be ye imitators of us. I would like to have you emulate me. I would like to have you, again, look to me as your example. If you and I can say it today, we, again, we would turn to Christ and we'd say, Christ, make me more like you. Let me be as attractive in my life as, Lord Jesus, you were. We've got to become just a little bit more Christ-like. Did you ever think how attractive he was when he was here on earth? 
The common people heard him glad. There was something magnetic about him, wasn't there? They looked to him. He was a pattern. He was an example. They, uh, they saw something in him that was so most attractive. I think of the 12 men that he chose as apostles. They left all and they followed him. Yes, James the greater and James the less and John and Jude and even Judas for the time being. And there was Peter and Philip and Matthew and Andrew and Bartholomew and Simon Thomas. Those men left everything and they followed him. Jesus said, come and be again, my disciples. I'll be your savior. And then you follow me. That means you imitate me. And those men did. On the cross, the thief on the right. He looked up at Jesus and he saw something tremendous in him. There was an attraction, wasn't there? And the Roman centurion that was there who had charge of the crucifixion, there was something about Christ. There, there was a God-likeness that he couldn't overcome. And he looked at him and finally said, Truly, this was a righteous man. Truly, this was the Son of God. When I was in Glasgow, oh, I thought, oh, little do we realize just what influence we have, those who are looking at us and I was in Glasgow and I wanted to go into the university there because it was in the auditorium at Glasgow University that David Livingston was given that honorary degree and I, I would like to have stood there but the school was closed on holiday but I thought of the time when David Livingston came back from darkest Africa and he had a withered arm you know with the encounter with the lion when he stepped out on that platform there at Glasgow University and it was the custom if a man got a doctorate that the students, again, they heckled him and they razzed him. This was the thing. But, oh, David Livingston, you know, when he stood out there and they saw the withered arm and this man that had spent years in Africa, the student body, students, mind you, they stood up and there was quietness and there was silence. Oh, again, little did David Livingston realize what an influence that life was on the lives of others. How many looked to him? What an example. What a model. Again, what an ideal. When you go to the Westminster Abbey in London, again, little does one realize even after death the influence. When you go in there, you find out the tourists by and large. Here, England's great. So many of them buried in the abbey, and yet all the visitors that come, they say, where is the tomb of David Livingstone? They ask for it more than the tomb of any of England's great. Who, who can measure it? If you'll pardon some personal illustrations. I was at the hospital several weeks ago speaking to a Roman Catholic friend of mine. He said this to me. He said, I go to my church every Sunday morning. And he said, I never miss the broadcast from your church. I, I listen to it and I love it and I enjoy it. And when I shook hands with him to leave, he looked at me and he smiled and said, I don't know why, but he said, I feel better just to see you. I feel better just to see you. You make me feel better. God, I walked away from that person and I thought, oh dear. It's frightening, isn't it? Rather frightening. Think of my two grandsons. They don't get to church here very often. When they were small, they were here several Sundays and when they went home, their parents said they played church and they got up on the ottoman and they told dad and mom, be quiet. And they got up and they mimicked me to a T in dead earnestness, preaching. And I heard it once, and it made the tears come out again. You say, who, who can realize who's looking at you and who's looking at me as an example? One of you even frightened me not long ago. You had your little boy in church. You said, he said to you, Mama, where's God? And you said, God's here in church. And your little boy said, no, he pointed to the pulpit. Where is God? 
That, that frightens me. That frightens me. But, oh God, that you and I might say, Lord, let some other Christian look at me for an example, for a model, for an ideal. And, oh, we'll pray as we've never prayed before. No, God, make me worthy. Down the glory road we can pray more love to thee, O Christ. This is what I need. Oh, give me more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Hear now the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.